Hello, Monetization Nation. Welcome back to another episode with Mark Schaefer. In the last episode, we talked about Mark's book, Marketing Rebellion, and the need for human-centered marketing. Today, we'll discuss four strategies for human-centered marketing. Constant human truths, values-based marketing, customers as our marketers, and honesty and consistency. We'll also discuss tectonic shifts and fractures in the status quo. All right. In your book, you talk about the constant human truths. The first one you talk about is love and the end of loyalty. You want to address that a little bit? Well, yeah, the, the basic idea here is <clears throat> one of the problems I face when I do consulting is that people are so overwhelmed. There's so they, there's seemingly so many options and so many things to do. And what I try to emphasize is that let's look at what are the things that aren't changing about your customers? What, what are the, these constant human truths? They wanna be acknowledged. They want to be loved. They want to belong. They want to be respected. Uh, and so let's, you know, today we're too focused on technology and we're saying more technology, more technology, more technology. And we need to put these constant human truths first. We need to say, here are the things that we need to build on. Now, how can we use technology to do that? I'm not anti-technology. I'm anti-technology when it creates barriers with our customers, when we do things like spam them or send them robocalls that, um, that you know, are, will, will, will just tarnish our, our brand. And I think this idea of, of being acknowledged, there's some, there's some powerful research in this book. One of the ones that just stood out for me in this chapter you're referring to is that young people today, 50% of them said, it's important for me to be acknowledged by my friends on social media. 60%, 60 said, it's important to be acknowledged by my favorite brands. That just blew me away that their favorite brands are more important than their friends. So there's this longing, right? There's this, this longing to be acknowledged. And I think those numbers are probably out the door because if you, I think everything's changed with the pandemic. Before the pandemic, we saw that the, the more time that people spent on the internet, the more lonely, isolated and depressed they became. Look at where we are today. It's become a global health crisis, not just the virus, it's the isolation, it's yeah. the loneliness and the depression. And you look at every mental health factor, every negative part of negative health, of mental health is going up, 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 up. Yes. And so is there a role for companies to play in this? I believe there is. I think customers are telling us that there is. You know, so give you, us a way to engage with you. Give us a way to feel like we belong. It's not for everyone, but certainly brands are doing it. Yeah, you raised some really important points there. So my favorite part of your book is chapter four. And it's the part where you talk about belonging, the greatest yeah. human need. And you're I'm glad, I'm glad that was your favorite. I think that's the most important chapter in the book. Okay, let's jump to chapter six. Let's right. talk about values-based marketing. Well, that's a big um, one. 
Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? What are the key takeaways that you'd like the audience on the show to know? Well, I think there's, there's two big ideas, two really, really big ideas. Number one is that I demonstrate, and, and by the way, none of this is, is just like my opinions of the world. This is all backed up with research from big, big companies like Deloitte and Accenture and McKinsey. So one of the ideas is that loyalty is in decline, in severe decline over the last 20, 25 years. In fact, 87% of our customers are shop around customers across most industries. Now, and there's also been research done by Harvard that shows that almost all of our traditional marketing activities are not building loyalty, but there's one. And that is demonstrating shared meaning or shared values. And so probably the most well-known example of this is Nike. Nike creates this deal with the, with the divisive NFL quarterback, Colin Kaepernick. Some think he's a patriot and a hero. Some think he's being unpatriotic. Um, and Nike does a deal with him and a line of clothes with him and their stock price goes down. Uh, their, their, their value goes down by $4 billion in one day and consumers are burning their merchandise in the streets. Their total... Uh, their total value rebounds in a week. And in two weeks, it's even higher than it was at the beginning. And I'll never forget this period because I've got this friend. He's a middle-aged white guy that weighs 400 pounds in Indianapolis. And he said, I will never buy Nike again. And I said, they don't care. He said, you don't understand. I'm so mad. I'm never going to buy Nike again. I said, I do understand they don't care because what they're doing is they're saying before you, before we can earn your trust, we have to show what we stand for. We have to show that we believe in you before you'll believe in us. Yep. And they, and, and so they knew, and here's a little known fact that's not in the book before Nike cut the deal with, Adidas or with a with a Kaepernick. Adidas tried to cut the same deal. It was a race for shared values because both of them knew they had they looked at the same research. This is what our customers believe in. How do we show it? We need to align with Colin Kaepernick. Now, so point number one. This is a very very effective way to create loyalty. Point number two, it's not for everybody. Yeah. Despite what you read out there, that every brand must show what they stand for. Every brand must take a political view. Your customers are demanding it. That's a bunch of crap. And I'll, I'll provide this little test for your listeners to make my point. Think about every product you've purchased in the last two weeks. It could be a drink, it could be a book, it could be insurance, it could be apples, it could be a car wash. And then think about which of those products do you know where the company stands on a political issue? Yeah, none of them. 
None of them. Yet, every single one of those products has a marketer behind them looking for changing the product, changing the place, the the promotion, developing new products, developing new ideas. How do we promote this? How do we distribute this? Those are all important things. But 99% of the time, we don't care. We don't care. We just want a car wash. We just want a sandwich because we're hungry. We like that shirt because it's my favorite color blue. I don't even know who made it. I just want it because it's pretty, right? So don't, I mean, sometimes, not sometimes, almost all the time, marketers just, we're too full of ourselves. We're too self-important. We think everything has to be about purpose. Everything has to be about, you know, cause marketing and marketers flock to whatever is popular until they ruin it. And what's happening now is purpose. That is the next big word that marketing is is going in the process of ruining. (laughs) They're in the process of ruining purpose. Yeah. And it doesn't just have to be political. Some people think it's about taking a a liberal or, or a conservative stand and, and, and that can be a good strategy if we do it well, but it also could be for social causes like, um, my, there's a, a line of bracelets and, and jewelry that's really popular among the junior high and high school kids right now. And, and each of the bracelets supposedly supports some charitable cause like support the dolphins or whatever. And you get the, this bracelet and, and they've done a good job of, of tying it to causes that high school and junior high age yeah. kids right. care about. Dogs. Yeah, that's right. The planet. <laughs> that's right. Right. And they have no idea where the, how that money is helping dolphins or helping yeah. the planet, but, but they've done a good job with that in their marketing. Right. All right. Let's talk about your manifesto for human-centered marketing. Mm-hmm. This was interesting because the Marketing Rebellion book was a very, very ambitious book. And I got about halfway through the book and I realized oh my gosh, I have covered so much ground. How are people even going to remember what went on? <laughs> There's an idea or some inspiration on about every single page. So I thought, I'm going, I'm going to just summarize it. <laughs> I'm going to say, let's take a pause here and say, this is kind of where we are. And that became this manifesto. And I challenged myself to summarize the main points of the first half of the book in 10 little points. And that became, that became the manifesto. And I, and I thought that this could be, by the way, if you go to the, my website and you look for the Marketing Rebellion book, you can download a hand-drawn, hand-colored copy of that manifesto for free. Again, I don't even ask for your email or anything. Just take it. Hang it up in your office. And I I think this is the essence of the book because then this is chapter eight. It's two pages long with these 10 points. And then beginning in chapter nine, I start talking about how do we activate? What, you know, how do we actually do this? What does human-centered marketing look like? Who are the people who are doing it well? And so there, it is a breaking point in the book. And, I, and the manifesto has become 
a very popular, a very popular mechanism to talk about it. I love it. And, and so you mentioned chapter nine there. In chapter nine, I like how you talk about how customers are our marketers, right? In the past, we were the marketers. We viewed ourselves as the marketing team or the marketing agency. Yeah. And I think there needs to be a fundamental shift that we need to see our customers as our primary marketers. You want to talk about that a little bit? Well, that's, that's really the key idea is when I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. When I was getting into this research, I was simply overwhelmed at how wrong we were. <laughs> and I thought about, I literally had this thought, I was sitting in this chair and I thought, I don't know what it means to be a marketer anymore. This, what's going on with consumers, it's not what we think. It's, we are not doing this the right way. We need an entirely new mindset that two thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. Think of the profound implications of this. Our job then is to find a way to join that two thirds, to earn our way into that two thirds, to have our narrative become part of this consumer dialogue, not to bother them and advertise them and, and annoy them and interrupt them, but how do we become part of the narrative. It, it truly requires a new way of, of thinking about marketing. You know, a lot of people are really in love with content marketing right now, and they're just pumping out content at, at, the, at this incredible pace. But there's no economic value in content unless it's seen and shared. The, the, the value is in transmission. It's, it's getting that story getting that content to move in that two thirds. That's where the marketing is occurring. That's where the sales is occurring increasingly. So over the next few years. So it's a whole new mindset required to be successful in marketing today. And as I was, as this was dawning on me, I was, I really had fear about writing this book because I thought there is going to be a backlash People are going to hate this, but I have to say it because it's, it's true. And I wrote the book and the exact opposite happened. People embraced this book and they said, we know, we know you're right. We see it, we hear it, we feel it, but you just put a name to it. And I feel liberated now that I need to do what I know I'm supposed to do and break the shackles of these old ways of marketing. Some can do it, some in these big, Hierarchical organizations might take longer, but you know, it is happening. Yeah. Okay. On my show, Monetization Nation, um, we obviously focus on monetization and, and the different ways to drive that. What is your best monetization secret? I, I don't sell anything. And so a long time ago, I realized that I can't depend on anything other than myself. I can't depend on social media. I can't depend on Facebook's algorithms. Can't depend on Google. Certainly can't depend on SEO. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a digital marketing consultant. How many digital marketing consultants are there? Thousands and thousands. Am I going to win the top two places in Google? No, I never will. I'll never own that. 
SEO is controlled by the two richest, meanest junkyard dogs in every industry. And they're going to battle endlessly for the top two you know, spots, top two or three spots. If you're not in those top two or three spots, uh, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day. He's been working on his SEO for 10 years. And he said, I'm so thrilled. I just moved from position 11. I just moved from position 12 to position 11. You know, he's still on page two. And it's just like, and he's, and he's committed to work another 10 years to move up one slot. He's buried. He's invisible. So what I depended on is my authority is to create content that's so unmissable, that's so honest, and that people know I don't have an agenda. I'm just trying to find a path. I'm just trying to find the truth. I'm sharing my journey with you. Sometimes I'm successful. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes good things happen, sometimes bad things happen, and I'll, I'll share it all, and we'll be on this journey together. And so over time, there's no real quick solution, but over time, you just do better week after week, month after month. There was a really sort of interesting moment in my career. I got to hang out with the, the Black Keys. They're this famous rock band. I mean, they're playing arenas now. But I got to see them when they were first playing, when they were still playing clubs of maybe a thousand people or two thousand people. But they just had their a big hit record. And I got to talk, meet them, and go backstage. And I asked Patrick Carney, the drummer of the band, "What was the catalytic point that just took you to the top? What was that moment?" He said, "There wasn't one." He said, "We've been touring for seven years." We've made seven albums and here we are. And every year we do a little bit better. Our record does a little bit better. Our tour does a little bit better. And two and a half years after I talked to him, they sold out Madison Square Garden in 15 minutes. Wow. But they weren't an overnight success. There is no overnight success. You, know, you just got to keep on working, 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 patience consistency is more important than genius these days. Yeah. And you just have to keep on keeping on and keep doing a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And then all of a sudden, boom, it'll start to go. And, you know, even during the depth of the pandemic, business started coming back to me. People, they, you know, these organizations, these conferences, a live conference, they might hire 50 speakers. Now they're going online. They can only hire three, but they chose me because they know me and they trust me. They know I'm an authority. They know I'm a reliable professional because they followed me for years. And so my business came back. My personal brand saved me during the pandemic, but it only came because I've been working at this for many, many years. Yeah. I wasn't saved by SEO. I wasn't saved by social media. I was saved by doing consistent, good, helpful, generous, meaningful work for my audience for years. That is such a profound principle and so true. In part four of your book, you talk about marketing reimagined. And this is kind of similar to something we talk about. Um, we teach a lot that the best way to grow monetization is through 
leveraging tectonic shifts. So you yes. find where the biggest changes are that are happening in the industry and you kind of ride that wave, right? right. So I, I see myself as a futurist kind of yeah. as, as I talk about these tectonic shifts. Um, so you talk about in chapter 10, the pathfinders, chapter 11, the quantum leap and chapter 12, the fourth rebellion. Um, and, and maybe I could have you mention those a little bit, but before I do, um, what do you think is the biggest tectonic shift that is transforming the business landscape today? Oh, this is going to surprise you. The pandemic. Yeah. And, and so, and by the way, I don't think it has to be a tectonic change. I think there's lots of money to be made in niches. Yep. And, and, and uh, instead of calling it a tectonic shift, actually, I write, a, I write a, a whole chapter about this in my, in my new book that you mentioned at the top of the show, Cumulative Advantage. I call this a seam. A seam is a fracture in the status quo. It creates new unmet or underserved customer needs. And the opportunity is when our core competencies, when our initiative meets that fracture and you burst through that with all your might and all your speed as, as big and as fast as you can, that's what creates winning momentum. There, the, Bloomberg keeps a list of the 100 richest people in the world. There are 10 people on that list who grew up in poverty, had no college education, and now they're on this list of mega, mega, mega billionaires. They all did the same thing. They had some initial advantage and, the, and there was a fracture in the status quo, right? Now here's a name, Bill Gates. How did Bill Gates become Bill Gates? Bill Gates, when he was a teenager, had access to early computer prototypes that other children didn't have. He was coding before anybody else, all right? Now, what was the fracture in the status quo? Personal computers, boom, so they need software, right? Boom, an operating system, there he goes. So he had this initial advantage. There's a fracture in the status quo, boom, he goes through as fast as he can, as hard as he can. That creates momentum. And so during the pandemic, look, this is a hard time. It's a sad time. I predicted last March there would be more startups in America than any time in our history. And that prediction came true. Yeah, We've lost a lot of businesses. Do you know there are more startups than business failures? It's the, we've had the most startups in the history of our country. Why? Because there are so many fractures in the status quo right now. Every freaking thing has changed. How we work, how we play, how we eat, how we entertain ourselves, how we work, how we educate our children. Everything has changed. So you're right, this is a tectonic shift, but there are lots of little micro fractures that can create really nice business opportunities. So we need to be aware, how do we apply? How do we apply this? What did I talk about in my example? I realized all of a sudden, all these leadership meetings are on Zoom. They're bored. I pivoted. I used my abilities to say, look, I've got a new presentation. I, 30 minutes long, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You tell me, 
I will inspire you on your meeting, on your, it's made for Zoom. Boom, 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 there I go, right? Tiny little fracture in the status quo. We need a way to pep up these boring Zoom meetings. And so there's lots of little fractures like that. You just have to be aware of them. They're happening all the time. Thank you so much, Mark, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, people want to be loved, belong, be acknowledged, and be respected. We can help fill those needs for our customers by acknowledging them and creating a place where they belong. Number two, almost all of our traditional marketing activities are not building loyalty, except for one, demonstrating shared meaning or shared values. Number three, customers are in control of our marketing now. Instead of trying to hold on to this control, we should embrace it and earn our way into being part of the dialogue. Number four, consistency is more important than genius. Number five, being authentic and consistent with our customers will help us gain big success little by little. Number six, fractures in the status quo provide great opportunities for us to gain momentum. We need to be aware of these fractures. To learn more about or connect with Mark, you can connect with him on LinkedIn, you can visit his website at businessesgrow.com, or you can check out his book, marketingrebellion.com. And there's links to each of these sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. Do you want to be a better digital monetizer? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, you can download the free Passion Marketing ebook at passionmarketing.com. Number two, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast. Number three, how can we shift our marketing to be more human-centered? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Number four, do you need help with your digital monetization strategy? then please visit monetizationpartners.com to schedule a free consultation. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in your human-centered marketing. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.